during the uh, season following Easter. We still call it Easter season uh, because in the, uh, in the lectionary, uh, we take the time after Easter to reflect on what Easter means. And uh, the lectionary for this current year is, though I don't always preach on the lectionary, I'm using it as a guide this year. The lectionary is on 1 John. So that's why we're looking at 1 John for the next few weeks. And in 1 John, we find out uh, what uh, one facet of what Easter means for us. Uh, John starts out with an apologetic, uh, the reasons to believe uh, what happened on Easter. He says, we are eyewitnesses. We heard, we saw, we touched, we experienced Jesus Christ in his life, and we experience Jesus Christ in his death, and we experience Jesus Christ in his resurrection. Therefore, there is every reason for you to believe that what we are telling you is true. We are eyewitnesses, and I am not alone, John says. There were many who saw Jesus Christ. And as I said last week in the Easter sermon, uh, the fact that these people saw Jesus Christ and then went on to live lives of self sacrifice based in their their confidence that this message is true that Jesus has conquered death and that there is life beyond this life the these people lived lives so assured of that that they willingly laid down their lives they were killed for their faith so uh, there are many reasons to believe in the historicity of the resurrection of Jesus Christ but that is one of the strongest that indeed people who saw him believed so strongly that this is true, that they gave their lives for it. Today we have so many truth claims, so many people are so sure that they understand what is true, and then the person next to them is so sure that they understand what is true, and the fact is that those the two opinions are in contradiction to each other that it is not logically possible for both ideas to be true. And we run across that constantly with people very sure that they have a handle on truth and then others are just as sure that they have a handle on truth and that they cannot both be right. When I was in college, I studied psychology and I had one very cynical psych professor who pointed out that, you know, this theory might work sometimes and this psychological theory might work other times. You, you treat this person with, with this, uh, this person's ideas and it might help and uh, another ideas might not help. And I... <laughs> I became a bit cynical too, and when I went on to further my education, I went on to further it in uh, psychology, but in a seminary. That was my initial goal in going to seminary, was to learn more about psychology, because what I wanted was the truth, what will truly help everyone. And what I found out is they were just as confused at seminary about this as they were at Penn. And, and I think the, the reason for that is everybody is different and different ways of approaching people psychologically uh, have different results. And some people respond to one and other people respond to another. So in our world today, we find that to be true and we say, well, is there anything then that is true for everyone? 
And that's, you know, what I went to seminary to find out. And of course, we as Christians believe that, yes, indeed, there are truths that are true for everyone. And of course, we know this in mathematics, that two plus two equals four, no matter how you try to manipulate uh, the system, it's just the way it is. We know that gravity will continue to pull us down no matter what we believe about gravity. And so theology, especially um, as we look at the historicity, the actual truth that Jesus Christ lived and died and rose again in history, the fact that, th that this has occurred helps us to pull Christianity, pull our faith out of the realm of what is true for you might be true for you and what is true for me might be true for you and elevate it, allow it to be elevated to where it actually exists to the place that it is true. It is historically true. It is true on every level and it's a truth that exists outside of us and exists in God's truth exists in the heart and mind of God, but this truth is just true because it is from God and it is also historically true. And we find that because of what Jesus Christ has done, because of Easter, we have a real and true connection with God. And then we're going to look at a couple things that real and true connection with God means. A real and true connection with God means that we must be honest. I remember years ago when I was a youth pastor in Minnesota, I asked the kids, would you rather be accepted uh, because you're putting on a front and pretending to be someone you're not and be accepted by everybody? Or would you rather be true to yourself, be honest and be accepted by just a few. And I believe, if memory serves me correctly, they to a person said, I would rather be accepted by everybody, even if I'm not being true to myself. <sighs> and that is probably the case for many teenagers, many people, uh, and many adults want to be accepted so badly that they are false about who they are. And is that truly being accepted? Are you truly accepted if you're accepted for being who you're not? Real acceptance, real love, is being loved for who you are, being accepted for who you are. We need to have a right view of God to understand God for who God actually is in order to have a real relationship with God. We have to be honest about who God is, and that means we have to delve into God's Word. That means we have to have uh, fellowship with other uh, Bible-believing Christians who will encourage us to, um, to know God for who God actually is and not a God of our own imaginations. We also need to present ourselves to God honestly. And in uh, verses 5 and 6 here, um, it says, This is the message we have heard from him and declare to you, God is light, and in him there is no darkness at all. If we claim to have fellowship with him and yet walk in the darkness, we lie and do not live out the truth. And then on to verse 7, But if we walk in the light as he, in the li as it, as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. 
and the blood of Jesus, his son, purifies us from all sins. Now, most of my life as I looked at that verse, I saw the themes of light and darkness as light being um, holiness and darkness being sin. But as I researched this passage, I discovered that many believe that light refers much more to truth, to honesty, and darkness to deception. And I think that makes a lot of sense in the context here of this passage, the context of relationship with God, what Jesus Christ has done to provide relationship with God for us, and then what we, how we respond to cultivate that relationship with God. We have to be honest with God if we are going to live in fellowship with God. It's back to that question to the teenagers. Uh, are you going to present a false self to God and hope that you are uh, accepted? Or are you going to present your true self to God and find out whether you're accepted or not? And in Jesus Christ, we find that we are accepted. So it makes total sense to present our true self to God and no sense to present a false self to God. But this means we have to be honest about our sin. This means we have to say, yes, Lord, I agree with you that I am sinful. To confess means, con means with, and fess is talking about speaking. So we speak with, we agree with God about our sin. And this is not just our individual sins, but our sinful state. In verse 9, we read, if we confess our sin, he is faithful and just and will forgive our sin and purify us from all unrighteousness. That's talking about our sinful actions. But in verse 8, if we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. We have uh, sins that we commit and we need to be honest about those, but there's something else, an underlying sinfulness, a uh, uh, a state of our hearts and our minds and our, our natural actions that is against God, that sinfulness that is part of the human condition. And Jesus Christ took both of these, our individual sins and our sinful state, upon himself when he hung on that cross. David said it well in Psalm 51. He said, I know my transgressions, my sins, my sinful acts, and my sin, my state, is always before me. Surely I was sinful from the time my mother conceived me. We have to be honest with God, confess to God, agree with God, that we, in and of ourselves, are not in a good, holy place. But there is sinfulness that plagues us, and there are individual sins that we commit that pull us away from God. And that sometimes is difficult because we want to think we're okay. But the only way to approach God and receive what Jesus Christ has done for you is to acknowledge that you need what Jesus Christ has done for you and you need it because you are a sinner. I'm a sinner. We all are sinners. We all are in need of a savior. So real and true connection involves honesty. Real and true connection will also change you. 
I uh, have been married almost 10 years now, and Devin has um, established a new behavior that I really enjoy. Uh, and, and telling you this while she's watching will mean that now we're self-conscious about it. So it might not be as enjoyable, but she's adapt, uh, developed a new um, turn of phrase where, where she'll, I'll say something and she'll say, right? Like, yeah, I agree with you. Everyone should agree with you, but some people don't, right? And I'll say, right. So we, we do this right thing back and forth and she'll say something and she'll end it with right and I'll say right. It's fun because we're seeing how our, our thinking is, is getting more and more similar as we uh, grow together. Now, some people, uh, as they grow together as a couple, start to look more and more similar. And all of that is because relationship, by its very nature, changes us. And, the, and to enter a relationship means that you are accepting the fact that you will change. Tim Keller tells the story of right after he was married, um, every day he would come home at 6 o'clock. But one day he decided he'd run an errand and he got home at 6.25 and found his wife in tears because she didn't know where he was. This was before cell phones. This was before it was easy to make connection before texting. And she was very upset that he thought it was okay to not tell her that he was going to take a longer route home. And he felt like, ugh, <laughs> I don't have the freedom I used to have. Now, that's just a small illustration, but it is true. If you're going to enter a relationship with anyone and have that relationship mean a, a, any level of commitment, it will change you. You will have to give up your freedom, some of your freedoms, in order to live in this relationship. And when we enter relationship with God, that means we give up our freedom, our autonomy. We give up our self-definition and we adopt God's definition, God's understanding of who we are and what life is about. This takes a long time for many of us to continue to give over control of our lives to God, to give over our self-understanding as being just fine as we are to God and sacrifice uh, what we think are our freedoms in order to find true ultimate freedom in relationship with God, the true and ultimate freedom that comes from being fully loved, fully accepted, and being able then to change into the image of God and look and act and think more and more like God. And there's a beautiful image um, throughout this that we, uh, our relationship with God is marked by walking in verse 6. Uh, yet we walk in darkness or we walk in the truth. We walk with God. We have an ongoing relationship with God. And that means we sacrifice for God. And some might say, well, what does God sacrifice? <laughs> it's Easter. It's still Easter season. Lest we forget Jesus Christ, God's Son, sacrificed his position of power and authority and full autonomy in heaven to come to earth to struggle and suffer and die. Giving up his freedom, his autonomy, so that you can have relationship with God. He didn't have to do it. 
but he did. But sometimes we think that God's job, even though Jesus already did all this for me, God's job is to continue to do what I want. We want God to give up his freedom and autonomy through Christ, but we do not want to give up our freedom and autonomy. And so often, and I think this is extremely prevalent in the church, in the U.S. at least today, is people think that becoming a Christian means that you get an extra power source to accomplish your agenda, and you get upset when God doesn't do what you want God to do. But that's not understanding what Christianity is. Christianity is not having God adopt your agenda, but for you to adopt God's agenda, God's truth for your life. Dietrich Bonhoeffer said, a God who is a projection of your own wishes is not a personal God. It is therefore impossible to have a relationship with that God, because that God is merely a figment of your imagination, a creation of your own mind. So you, when you relate to that God, you're relating only to yourself. But the God who created us is outside of ourselves, and that God is uh, God in three persons. God is personal. So God, when God relates to us, calls us to make changes. And if you have a real growing relationship with God, you will want to please God and you will want to then say no to your own desires that God calls sin. And again, this is confession, agreeing with God about what, who you are and about what sin is and about the fact that God knows better than you do. And verse 10 puts it this way. If we claim we have not sinned, we make God out to be a liar, or uh, just as good a translation as the liar, and his word is not in us. So he say, I'm perfectly fine as I am. I'm not a sinner. I don't need this. We're saying, God, you got it wrong. You're lying. You don't understand. What a foolish thing to say. What a foolish thing to think. But we do it. We do it all the time. We want to self-justify. We want to think that we're okay. We're fine on our own. We don't want to confess our sinfulness. And sometimes we'll say, well, you know, my struggle is a little different than other people. And I know that the Bible says this and this and this, but it probably, I don't think God thinks it applies to me because, you know, my life is unique and, and God has to give me a little leeway on this because it's just, it's just not me to obey God's plan, God's purposes, God's truth. The Bible is full of our need to confess, to agree with God, and part of that means we repent. We acknowledge God is right and I am not, and no matter what a struggle it might feel to me to obey God as opposed to obeying my own sense of what I want, it's all part of being in relationship with God. It's all part of acknowledging that God is God and I am not. If you confess before a judge, you may not be repenting. 
you may be saying, yes, okay, yes, I agree. It was wrong. And now let me out of this. But if you confess to your father, you might think you can do it without repentance, but if you want to maintain the relationship, your confession must include repentance, must include the idea that this relationship is so valuable to me that I am willing to change to keep and cultivate this relationship. That's how it is with us and God. If we want to keep walking with God in relationship with God, we need to agree with God and we need to put aside the things that God says are wrong. As the Westminster Shorter Catechism says, the chief end of humanity, our purpose for existence, is to glorify God and enjoy God forever. That means being in relationship with God. And in order to maintain that relationship with God, we have to agree with God. And John 17, 3 says that eternal life is to know God and Jesus Christ, whom God has sent. This knowledge, this um, relational experience of God is what eternal life is all about. And so I ask the question of you that I often ask of me, why? If I think, if I don't think that I want to enjoy that fellowship with God now, if I want to put my own agendas above God now, why do I think that I would want anything different in eternity? Eternity is when that relationship comes to its fruition, its fullness. But if I don't want a true, honest relationship with God now, that means sacrificing some of myself, why would I want eternity with God? But we can enjoy God forever. That's what we were created for. And it means that we seek God honestly and we allow God to set our agendas.